Hello and welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. I'm Simon Pooley and today I'm talking with Rabia Gebler. Rabia studied product design in Germany and has recently moved to Japan with her partner, who is also working with wood. After carving her first spoon, she felt a strong pull to not only design things, but to actually make them with her own hands. She has since worked with different materials and makes beautiful bowls, vases and spoons from wood. We talked about these things and much more. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Yeah, hi, Rabia. Thanks for joining me. And uh, yeah, it's nice, it's nice that you came and um, agreed to have a little conversation with me today. So thanks for that. And... The first question I would like to ask is um, is about Japan because yeah you moved there recently which is uh, quite interesting I don't know so much about Japan so maybe how long have you been there and maybe you could just tell me a little bit about what it's like uh, where you're living now. All right, I moved here in December. Um, I had one of the last flights that you could take to Japan actually I had a lot of luck involved <laughs> entering this country uh, all the borders are closed now and I came because my boyfriend has a scholarship here at the university to uh, do his master's program in ceramics and craft oh, okay and I moved after him that's why I came but I also plan on doing the master's in wood or I want to apply at least it's quite hard because it's obviously expensive. I don't know if I can get a scholarship to, and it's all in Japanese. So oh, okay. We'll see how that goes next year. <laughs> but uh, I've been here since December. Um, my boyfriend's been here since October last year. He came here before. And yeah, mm, how's Japan? <laughs> yeah. That's a very good question. It's hard to put Japan in words. It's crazy i mean you kind of forget that you're in a really crazy place once you live there it just mm-hmm. becomes a bit normal um i've also not seen much obviously since i've been in quarantine and you just can't do so much currently but uh, we've traveled around a lot and it's just it's fascinating um <laughs> i don't know yeah. where to start really. yeah that's all right <laughs> is it is it your first time yourself that you're there it's my third time. Okay. I went in university, my second year in university, I went alone for three weeks because I just really wanted to go again. I went as a child also. My father actually lived in Japan before my time okay. <laughs> for a little while because he was teaching in Hiroshima. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess there's been some connection. It's really far away, so I've not been here often i mean three times now i guess it's kind of often <laughs> yeah um, yeah my family's really into japan we really like it my father learned some japanese back then and it's kind of been a bit familiar yeah not completely i mean yeah seeing it as a kid and then coming back you already yeah knew a little yeah. bit about it <laughs> had been exposed to it even though i was a kid yeah I You're knew just... what to expect in some ways. I mean, mm-hmm. living here is still always different, but I didn't know what Japan was about in a way. So it yeah. wasn't a complete shock. <laughs> yeah. And uh, are you in uh, in Tokyo, in a city or more? We're in outside? Tokyo, yeah. yeah. We're in, in Tokyo because the university is in, in Tokyo. 
mm-hmm. which actually for me, in fact, now isn't the best situation since my hopes was I really wanted to do an internship in the carpentry. Um, but in Tokyo, there's essentially no carpentries. Um, it's just not one of the cities that traditionally had. Well, that's difficult to explain. But mm. In Japan, um, if you say carpentry, that is one very specific thing. And there's a lot of different craft and it's really specific, each one of them. And in Tokyo, there was a lot of furniture builders and different types of makers. But the type of carpentry, I would imagine, of building houses is not around in Tokyo so it's really hard for me to find something so either I go and I work in a different city and then try and find a house building shrine building company maybe or I try and stay here and try and find something smaller yeah Uh Yeah. it's a bit tricky interesting and that's definitely where you want to go because until now um, I see you've done, yeah, more smaller things. No, no houses that I know of yet. More chairs and furniture and bowls and spoons. But um, houses is, is, a, is a big jump. But that's where you kind of want to go with it, yeah? To... Honestly, I don't really know where I want to go with it. <laughs> yeah. I just, I really like woods, I guess. That's the one thing I'm sure of. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I come from a design background and then I started creating for spoons actually and that was my entry ticket to the world of making stuff um, and then I worked when I was stuck in Germany in the last year after finishing my bachelor with COVID um, I worked in the carpentry and I really enjoyed that and I really wanted to just learn more carpentry I don't know if I want to be a carpenter later but I really I know I'm quite young I still want to learn and I came here with the hope that I would just be able to take as much in as I could. Um, and then I tried to find a carpentry, but quickly noticed carpentries in the sense that we know them in Germany are not a thing here. <laughs> so you really have to decide which one, like what kind of woodworking do you want to do? And obviously I'd love to continue spoon carving. There's also spoon makers here. There's Urushi work, there's people that make spoons but that's usually one craftsman that does it alone. So it's much harder helping them. It's all fluent Japanese required, okay. <laughs> obviously. So the best guess in becoming an apprentice for me would have been going in a bigger carpentry that does shrine building or house building, because that also includes learning the traditional Japanese carpentry. Like all the, what do you think of first the connections and the mm-hmm. joints and the cutting, most of that is included in, especially in shrine building. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I do not want to be building shrines later on. <laughs> I don't when you, think when so. you, sorry to interrupt, when you say shrines, what do you, what does that mean? Building Temple. shrines? Temples. Temples, um, ah, okay. Yeah, there's temples and shrines here, which one is Buddhist and then um like there's there's two types of religions so you have temples and shrines that are divided by um which is a difference and then the yeah shrine maker there's also temple builders uh there's a difference which i cannot tell you in detail what the difference yeah. is but it's a different type of building yeah and in japan the most impressive way of carpentry is definitely the just the religious sites it's just incredible so it would be a really nice way to learn learn that. Yeah. That's why. Okay. <laughs> yes. F- interesting to to hear that there are 
yeah, so specific. And in Germany, it's more broad than uh, like as a Schreiner or a carpenter. In Germany, you, I, I, I don't know this world either, but I guess, yeah, joinery, maybe it can go more into furniture, more into um, uh, building the actual houses or, so that's yeah. a bit... You can specify. The thing is, I believe in Germany, you do a basic apprenticeship. And then afterwards, you might go, your apprenticeship, you already do in a carpentry. They might specify on we do furniture or maybe we do chairs. But especially the one I worked in, they're amazing. They're really quite into innovation, but they made a lot of kitchens. But then also if just some neighbor asks, can you fix this chair can you fix this cupboard they would do that they would do house facades just all the work they were asked to do uh, yeah so it's not here it's very specific if you're a chair builder in japan you build chairs <laughs> you, you yeah. stick with it and I that's guess. also i think something oh sorry <laughs> that's okay go ahead that the japanese culture is really about is that you in craft you stick with what you do and you never believe you're done learning. So any person I've met so far, we've met a chair builder who's done this for 50 years now. And he said he's he's not done learning. Like he will not be at the point where he actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> that is fascinating. Like in other cultures, you just, you do your three years of school, then you go and you, you do stuff and you know now. But <laughs> yeah. in Japan, that's never the case. You never stop learning. Yeah, it's quite quite different yeah that commitment to really like master the something on a whole yeah. nother level like like yeah. you say it reminds me of this film um i think it was called jiro dreams of sushi have you seen this <laughs> no i don't and know it, it is. and it's about a sushi maker in japan and it's super nice and it just follows him and he's this older man who's been working the same shop uh, his whole life making just yeah. sushi and he still has the same mindset of like, yeah, I'm, I'm get, starting to get good at this and he's yes. been doing it and he's acclaimed and people travel from across the world to, to go and eat and, and uh, yeah, and yes, watch him work because he's obviously a master, but he just has a super humble um, opinion of himself like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting good and, and yeah. even the apprentices, which he has, like, have to cook rice for, I don't know, five years. Just the rice. First, just yeah. get good at this before you do anything else. <laughs> and and that reminds me a lot. This is a nice film for someone, yeah, where you really see that and get a good feeling of that. Um, that really explains what you, what you get to see here. Also, mm -hmm. as an apprentice, I mean, it's, it's just a myth. You can't come here for three months and learn Japanese carpentry and go back. That's just a lie. And I already said I have two or three years that I might want to do as an apprentice. But even in that time, you don't get very far. Yeah. You're just not allowed to do a lot, which for someone European is really frustrating. You're like, I just want to try it. Just let me do it. Well, here it's very just obvious you're going to stay around for 20 years and you're just going to very slowly be introduced to the next step to fully understand which is hard for I guess a German ego hey, yeah <laughs> it's different it's something to learn from I don't know if it's like ideal it's just very it's a lot of inspiration shortly mm -hmm. and I've heard of it also uh, in the martial arts sometimes something similar happening with people wanting to yeah learn from a uh, 
a sort of martial arts master, but even for them to accept you or to get accepted into a, some sort of school can also take months or years to even prove that you're um, someone that deserves to be taught this information. So yeah, it's very kind of guarded. And yeah, I don't know if it's a, a good thing or not, but there it's you definitely <laughs> see it yeah you have to want it for sure and prove not this is what I want to do and maybe somebody then will pass on the information mm. a lot of commitment yeah which I think it's something to learn from but they might take it too far for me personally yeah. at some point. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and and so you're originally from Germany and you studied uh, product design mm-hmm and yeah. and there's like I looked at your Instagram and I saw some of the some of the stuff you you did there during your studies and you made a stool uh, an interesting looking stool I think you called it the Boaz stool ah with, yeah yeah <laughs> and that was mm. quite a yeah interesting design how it works with with the um, I think tension. it was rubber tension to kind of lock it in place so how did you come up with this idea and did the did anything happen apart from the stool like did you develop more or cr- produce these stools or tell me a little bit about that that project <laughs> about the stools yeah okay so all the stools i did actually i did in my time in israel i did an erasmus in israel i was supposed to stay for half a year but i really enjoyed it so i stayed another half which makes a year in the end um hmm. <laughs> where do i start the story so I was quite frustrated with my university in Germany, actually, for multiple reasons. Um, I never actually knew what really annoyed me about industrial design at its core, <laughs> but yeah. something just didn't feel right. Um, but I went to Israel and it was just a completely different approach to design for me. Uh, where you actually build the things and it was really about you go in the workshop and you make what you design whereas in Germany it was you would only do prototypes if any so you in Germany it was a lot more technological more engineering based and also definitely something which is useful it just wasn't my thing I really wanted to if I design something I want to build it I want to see how it works and actually understand it Mm -hmm. and I don't just want to do a rendering so as soon as I got to Israel, we were allowed to build all these things. I just went kind of off and decided to build a chair, which <laughs> turns out is not so easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's all, it's design projects that I did in university. So each of the stools I spent a semester on half a year, um, which makes none of them really be entirely developed like there's a lot of work that could be done it's essentially the first prototype in design you just don't have the time in university to really go further Um, and the stool you mentioned I did with Aram with a with a friend of mine and a project as a pair and it's um, we were supposed to do it was a woodworking class actually in uni and we were supposed to build a stool I'm not sure what the task really was, <laughs> but uh, we really wanted to make a school that's collapsible for the workshop. So it's very high. And we came up with this idea of the legs you can detach. And then we really tried to figure out what are ways to make it just 
attach in one go. So it functions as you have the seeds and you stick in the free legs and you twist the top and the legs are all connected with strings. So as soon as you twist the top and then it jumps into a little lock, um, it just holds it all together by tension. So yeah. that was the idea, but it's all conceptual. It's industrial design work. So it's not, <laughs> uh -huh. it's not done, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I guess it's a, like a stool and you could probably choose anything. You chose a stool, but um, yeah, chairs and stool. When I think of design too, I, I think of chairs because for some reason, it's also like a set thing, something to sit on, but it has quite a history, right, of chairs. Like there's even like famous mm -hmm. chair designs that have um, been reinvented or designs from long ago that are still in use. It's It's interesting that, stools and chairs are such an object where so much thought can go into. Um, yeah, it's, I guess it's just iconic, like mm. famous, every famous industrial designer has designed a chair, although there's not much to do anymore. I mean, the chair has been invented and then <laughs> yeah. if you design student, you always try to reinvent the chair. So <laughs> mm -hmm. you go and do all these uh, crazy ideas that you come up with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there still is yeah quite a lot within the set um, framework. Something to sit on. There's still yeah heaps of stuff you can play around with, right? And which makes it so interesting. Yeah, it's already there, but there's so much to play with. Yeah. And I feel it like the same thing. Even I'm doing. I've carved a few uh, bowls myself, just with um, like chisels and and an axe, like super simple, and a few cups, but mostly spoons. And with spoons, it's the same thing. It's just a simple tool. <laughs> but with so like for me, it feels like endless possibilities. Yeah. Um, really. Less than a chair, I, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but do you feel like the stuff you studied? and then made this chair, the process you went through to think about the design and this locking, how it can all work. Do you feel that come out? Does, is it a process that you go through when you design simpler things, let's say a bowl or a cup, like, or does it, or do you not feel that so much coming back through a certain process? Mm, since I, came, I did the, the design part first and mm. then I carved a spoon and it quite changed my idea of what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah it was actually quite a changing moment for me my first spoon <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah that's also why I started even building chairs before I just I studied design I was quite unhappy with it and I noticed in my internship it's just not what I want to do because it involves sitting in front of a computer nine hours a day and it's just it's not what I want to do I really just want to make something yeah. and I had never actually made something I didn't know where to start I had no idea what to begin with I just didn't come from as a kid I painted but I never built something yeah. so I literally had no idea what to start I didn't know how to screw something together if you've never done mm -hmm. it before so my first spoon was actually the the moment where I carved this thing and it worked and I did it with a knife in my own hands and then I realized amazing <laughs> this is what I want to do I want to make stuff so <laughs> from yeah. that point on after that pretty much half a year after I had this spoon <laughs> mind-blowing experience I went to Israel and then I decided okay I'm going to bring it together I'm going to build things as well as design them so mm -hmm. that's what these chairs came out of 
But the design process, I'd say, is different than what I do when I craft. Mm -hmm. um, crafting is all about... Mm, it's about the way you make it. It's all about the production and then the aesthetics. Whereas design, it's a lot more thinking before you make the thing. Ideally, I would like them to be combined. But what I learned in design school is really this process of there's a problem and I try to solve the problem with design. So you think mm -hmm. a lot further. Um, it's not just a chair, I guess, it's both, it's like on the edge, it's more you can craft it and you can design it as well. But what I did in school is, uh, it's hard to explain really. <laughs> <laughs> so you do a lot of problem solving design. That's what it is. So you go in the hospital and you're like, well, what's the problem? What, why is the bed not comfortable? And then you analyze it to the core and the the way you analyze it then gives you the answer. But if I craft something, I don't go through this entire, there's no problem with a spoon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what a spoon, like, I just do the aesthetics and the production parts. You skip this entire beforehand. Yeah, process. problem solving. It's more of a expression, I guess, as a way to yeah, solve a problem. Although you could still try maybe there's someone out there trying to carve like the the perfect spoon was one thing i was thinking about like yeah. but that's individual also isn't it if you want to make the most best uh, nicest to used object or spoon um you could try and do this but again what for one person is the perfect spoon for someone else probably isn't so it's also hard to put so much time into into this uh, goal of creating the perfect spoon because it's individual yeah, surely. And with the spoons, yeah, you can definitely go more into a, a arty way and a, like um, make spoons with lots of decorations and go more in this uh, direction or just simple, clean, usable spoons. Mm -hmm. I think you've played with both, both. things. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So you, yeah. you try both things. I do. I just play around. It's just, it's fun for me. That's really what it is. I don't approach, I think that's why I enjoy doing it so much because it's not a design project for me. I just do it mm -hmm. and I just play around with different shapes and different people like different shapes. And that's completely fine. I don't try to create the one Bauhaus spoon <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> be the only shape it's supposed to be. And that's it. Um, like I do really appreciate the Bauhaus design as well. Absolutely. But it's not what I like about craft is so much is that I do not care yeah. <laughs> if it's the most useful object of all times. And I do really believe also that design in school often you do a lot of projects under this idea of it's saving something, it's problem solving. But I think in a lot of things, we would be better off if we actually went backwards. So I, oh, <laughs> this is getting... Uh, <laughs> no, it'll be interesting. <laughs> so um, what's a good example? Like a whiteboard. So I don't know if this is the best example, but I think we've gone too far, but it's continuing to try and redesign and make things better i think we actually try we make a lot of things worse i think some things had have has already just they had their peak 
So I see, uh, I have this moment with a professor in university that had a complete meltdown because he tried to write on the, on the whiteboard with an edding with a permanent marker. Yeah. And he just freaked out and he shouted and left the room. And then he came back in and told us, well, chalkboards were so much better. We've already reached 100% and we tried to reach 150 by making it maybe less dirty. Your hands don't get dirty from the chalk. And maybe we tried to improve it, but we actually made it worse because you now need these pens that are wrapped in plastic. They have alcohol inside of them. There's a lot more energy being used to make permanent markers. All of this, trying to improve it actually made the made it just more complicated and i believe in that in a lot of things there's definitely still things you can design and there's definitely great industrial design that brings us somewhere but for me i just think going a bit backwards i guess maybe if you're if you're forced yeah if (laughs) if it comes naturally it's probably makes sense if you have a problem that occurs in your everyday life then okay something can change here but going out for the sake of redesigning something might often lead to this yeah you go for the sake of Mm. looking for the problem that you can make Mm. a new product for to then sell like it's it's all money based yes you are trying to solve a problem and that's what you tell yourself why you're doing a good thing but in the end it's just you want to sell another object so you improved the Hoover for the five billionth time. And it's, it's been done. There's not much to do. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I really enjoy going back to craft and especially to things that are being forgotten. It's just there's making things with your hand. We've already really understood to the core as humanity how this is done. And we've reached amazing things making them with our hands. And now they're just dying out. There's no lich. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoy going back to that and just <laughs> yeah no it's yeah, yeah. No, really... getting fundamental <laughs> humanity talk <laughs> yeah no I think that's an underlying thing well for me and pro- maybe for other people that get attracted these like simple tasks it's something we've been doing for a long time uh, as people and yeah there's something just um it speaks to us in some yeah, way. Yeah, it speaks to us in some way, making things with our hands and the entire process, whereas a lot of stuff these days to make things goes through so many different people doing their little piece, but um, being able to take some raw material and from start to finish, you know everything that went into it is a, yeah, is a very satisfying feeling, I think. Yeah, it also builds knowledge about how things are made. I don't think I've ever understood better how things work than when I started making things. Mm-hmm. before you just use the objects around you but as soon as you actually create things you finally understand oh maybe i can actually fix this maybe if i look at this long enough i understand how it's done you just go back to appreciating the objects around you more and understanding them more yeah yeah most definitely we my one of my uh, introductions into this kind of way of seeing things was when i spent time with my my friend and we did the project to sew our own t-shirts and none of us had done this before, but the first thing was to take our t-shirts and look at them. And I mean, every you've been wearing t-shirts your whole life and it's just like a t-shirt, but then something <laughs> as simple as this everyday item, we're like, how many pieces of cloth make up 
our t-shirt like it's the arms the front the back so it's four different pieces and how are they cut and we really broke down this thing and even <laughs> that was like well there's actually yeah quite four different pieces how is it stitched on the inside outside and yeah we really got a strong sense of this and you can do it for any object around you it's like yeah how many hands ha have these simple objects gone through um, I'm sure as soon as you did that, you now really appreciate your T-shirt a lot more. <laughs> yeah, afterwards we we uh, so, sewed, uh, we sewed our own T-shirts, stitched our own T-shirts, and that gave us a big appreciation because we had all these wonky kind of <laughs> badly stitched T-shirts. We're like, ah, the, <laughs> the store-bought nice even T-shirt. Yes, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I'm going for with, with craft. Also, is this appreciation of there's so much being thrown away you just buy it it all looks the same you can have the thousandth cup that looks the same you don't care it was cheap it looks the same as any other you had no story to go with it but then there's a lot of levels that can make this object last longer for example you did it yourself maybe like your neighbor made it but as soon you understand someone made this object you care about it a lot more so it's I really believe in the lifespan of an object just enhancing if you've understood where it came from and if craft kind of came back, <laughs> came mm. back to life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting to hear that. Um, yeah. So you, you know, you really were drawn to this making stuff with your hands. And since then you've made, uh, from what I could see, like different, quite a lot of uh, different objects, spoons and bowls and, uh, and vases and things. How come you have been doing so many various things? I mean, you, you could just have stuck to spoons, but for some reason, was it the situation allowed for you to make bowls where you were or did you want I to always, try everything? I always come back to spoons. Spoons mm -hmm. is the one thing that I, I always make, but Definitely the situation allowed. And also, I think I've not decided which thing I really want to make. I'm just incredibly interested in learning how to make things. It's yeah. just fun. <laughs> yeah. It's really great fun. I definitely want to do more woods, but like I recently did a few ceramic pieces just because we were allowed to visit some uh, ceramic master here who taught us a lot of stuff and he invited us to make some things and burn them in the wood-fired kiln. Um, so just try that, which I'm definitely, I'm not going to be great at ceramics, but <laughs> it was a great experience. And the bowls um, just came, my boyfriend does a lot of wood turning, he taught me. Um, and in my time in the carpentry, there was a, a lathe standing around. So on the weekends, I was able to go and just teach myself and do some wood turning, which is great fun. I really love it. Awesome. But I've been also been moving around a lot in the last years <laughs> yeah. so i've had a lot of things come and go right now we don't have a lathe i really love to continue making bowls um but we just don't have the we do have the space now we're trying to actually save for a lathe to buy one um yeah i guess it's just the situation and that i can't decide what i really want to be making <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah i think <laughs> I'd love to branch out and try this, but for me too, I'm living in an a apartment and I just don't have the space, but I'm definitely like attracted to uh, bowls and cups and making more things. And a few people I've uh, talked to recently actually made their own pole lathe, 
like mm, uh, that's a pedal powered. Have you tried pedal powered or the bowls you made? Was that electric lathe? It's an electric lathe. It's also different tools, and I've never tried tried those tools. It's hook tools. Yeah. And it's greenwoods, and I've have a problem of getting around finding a lot of greenwoods. Mm. Like every, I always find something somewhere, but especially now in Tokyo, it's very hard um, without a car and. We, co- we collected a lot now. We took like five stumps of woods <laughs> last uh, week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we found a place with a lot of woods and then we took it on the bus in the backpack. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm not constantly around Greenwood. So Greenwood turning has not been something that I did. Uh, I'd love to try. Um, but also a Japanese style life is something that is very different. They also use hook tools. I think it's a bit of a similar way of turning maybe i don't actually know um it's a small lathe for japanese style lathe. you do it in sitting and you use hook tools also um so maybe they'll try and do that it takes up a lot of less space but no i've not done a pole lathe i'd love to build one i don't have a space <laughs> yeah it definitely, it definitely needs some some space for that yeah um, so, and then with your spoons, I saw on your Instagram, you've been doing some int- interesting stuff, which I haven't seen anyone else doing. On one of the spoons, um, you used sap of a lacquer tree, if I understood that. I don't even know. I didn't know there was a lacquer tree. I've heard of lacquer, which is some sort of varnish. And you coated the spoon and then wipe it off and you called it uh, urushi. Is that the process or is that the material? name of both that's the name of the material i'm not inventing this yeah. <laughs> not my my credits um i've actually the first time i saw someone put it on the spoon was over at on the spoons page he had a japanese spoon cover come over and do a spoon talk of his spoons and his wife does urushi on them mm-hmm. and urushi has been used in japan a lot it's not known around the world so much it's a natural occurring lacquer that is harvested from a tree. So it's literally the sap of a tree. It's yeah. quite expensive because you can only take very little amounts and the tree needs to regrow for like 10 years or something after oh, wow. you've harvested some of it. Um, but it's amazing. It uh, hardens with uh, water, essentially. So you put it in a cabinet with a high level of water in the air and then uh, the hardens. And it's um, completely food safe. It's a completely natural lacquer, and it's um, pellant, pellant against water and acids, and like it's just brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's amazing. They use it a lot in Japan. It's quite a high art here, where there's very specific people that learn all their life how to apply urushi, and I just do it very. I don't actually know what I'm doing. So. <laughs> I mean, it works. It's just it's a high it's a high skill level that you need to reach to do really perfect shiny spoons. And I've yeah. been playing around with trying the opposite since I can't really reach that. So I do um, kiyorushi a lot, which is a special um, kind where you wipe it off before you let it harden, so the wood texture shows through uh, okay. for the spoons. And you can build that up. You can do a lot of levels of putting urushi on, wiping it off, and then letting, letting it cure. And it's quite beautiful because it just enhances all the natural colors and textures. Or I've been trying now to put it on and then schleife, schleife, <laughs> send yeah, yeah. it off, <laughs> send it off again, um, which 
brings back like the textures of the the, the knife. So I'm kind of doing very unorthodox things. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> All the masters are probably <laughs> shaking their heads. What is this yeah, craziness? I don't want to. <laughs> No, it's, it's great. I can only recommend it. You can get it in Europe, actually. Dictum is selling it online. There is a different, oh. I'm not sure his name is, there's a different carver, spoon carver that's using it a lot in really nice ways. Um, I would have to look him up. Um, I'm not the only person to do it in spoons. Okay. But yeah, it, it's a really great technique to make your spoons waterproof. Yeah, okay. And to, it changes the color, it darkens it quite a it bit, does. doesn't it? Yeah, Rushi itself has a color. So there's different, there's Kiyu Rushi is actually the unfiltered Rushi that you just get from the tree. And it's brown and has a brown color. Yeah. And then in Japan, often you find lacquerware in like red or black. These very thin rice balls are often red or black. And that has pigment in it. Um, but the natural Rushi is brown on its own. So it does darken it but it just makes it look like a much darker wood type than like an artificial color which is quite nice mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah like i've used it on on ash spoons or something and then they go kind of walnut brown so it's it does change it change the color a lot okay because other people um what you see a lot more to change the color is either like roasting the spoon or carbonizing mm-hmm. some people call it putting it in the oven to yeah. do like this or to um, use a vinegar steel wool solution. What's that called now? Yeah, um, yeah. ebonizing. Ebonizing. Yeah, <laughs> other, yeah, other ways to do it. And I've kind of tried both, but I'm not such a big fan of of either, to be honest. But um, this stuff, this Arushi, also, yeah, makes it waterproof and gives it a very smooth finish, which for... Um, yeah. Like for a spoon, might be quite nice to have just a very yes a smooth it's surface. Used in, um, mainly in uh, food objects, so okay. it's, it's quite expensive, and here it's seen as a really precious thing. So it's not used on just everyday objects, but like rice bowls would have it. There's definitely spoons and forks that have it on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's also it's completely against acids. It makes it like waterproof as well as acids can't attack the wood anymore if you've had enough layers but it does make it shiny if you put especially black urushi will be black you won't see anything underneath anymore and i don't like the shininess so much it's just a style choice really Mm. um but the key urushi if you wipe it off it stays matte which is quite nice but it's not a hundred percent um waterproof then because you can still see the pores Mm -hmm. when you build it up which yeah. is something... so it it's a really nice nice way of making your spoons a bit stronger ah that's what it does also huh it strengthens it yeah it's like well cured oil a bit it's just like mm-hmm. putting lacquer on the spoon <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. yeah yeah okay cool and and vases and things have you made most of the stuff now i've seen you making are usable objects have you yeah. gone into making just sculptures, things just for, for art's sake, or do you really prefer to stick with usable mm-hmm. items? Not yet. I do really enjoy things with tiny feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just something that makes me really happy. So my bowls sometimes get feet or uh, my vases get feet. Um, so I'm making like these butt vases are not the most useful objects. 
So I really enjoy that. I just find them cute. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not something that's um, that's quite sculptural. Um, not really. I just kind of feel like I can't really argue why I've made this, why I used wood for something that has no purpose. I feel like I'm wasting it in some way. <laughs> so <laughs> not really. I would really like to really enjoy sculpture, really look, enjoy looking at sculptural work, and I might might try doing some experimenting yeah, <laughs> yeah. when some were think was thinking about it how it's interesting how sometimes these usable things sometimes yeah are quite sculptural and beautiful and there's a lot of time and energy to put into them but if it's just like a bowl just a bowl it's um yeah it's still a bowl no matter how beautiful and mm-hmm. to sell it um, on the other side, you could make a sculpture, like a something like a bowl, but because it's just an art piece, it could get sold for so much more. And sometimes I think that's quite funny that yeah, um, for some reason, if it's art, it could be worth so much more than if it's a bowl, even though the yeah time and thought and design. Yeah, also just being seen differently. I think if you're a sculpturist or if you're just a carver it's a very different career path so that's definitely something to consider i'm also considering applying there's different things you can apply in the masters here there's a sculpture course as well and i've have been playing with the thought of applying to sculpture and then still be doing usable objects after but i think it just leaves you with a different you've you've studied sculpture in the masters. So you kind of, you're just seen differently, which is, it really shouldn't be that way. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sadly is. So yeah, but bowls also, I mean, wooden bowls, what do you really use them for? They're, you can put fruits in them or nuts <laughs> or, <laughs> but in the end it's a sculptural piece that's just claiming to be very useful. So I find bowls very sculptural also. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Me too. We have a few nice turned bowls and yeah, they're not the most useful, but <laughs> nice to look at. Um, and you've played then with quite a few different materials, the wood and, and I think steel and recently clay. So clay must be quite differently because wood, especially green wood, a branch, you're very limited to that piece. You can't add anymore. You could just take off whereas clay you can you can add and i think oh, if you mess it up you can <laughs> redo it right like you, yeah, on, if you don't like it you just start again you yeah. just compress it and you start start from zero it's amazing i was i never did any clay before until maybe a week ago now and i don't know how to turn on the wheel i don't i tried once but it's hard and i just i don't want to start that entire new hobby <laughs> so, <laughs> um, i tried carving clay and that works that is it's just it blew my mind you can carve a cup and it's just like carving woods but there's no grain direction and it's soft as butter it was amazing <laughs> yeah i was quite amazed you just do the same process you have like a similar hook knife and just different knives and then you just kind of squish it in position so it's just like the dream of wood carving without it being wood <laughs> yeah, yeah. i think i'll still stick around with the wood i really enjoy that it's maybe the grain just goes the opposite direction it's all a bit annoying but uh, it's just it has something to it the little fight sometimes 
Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, somehow nice and like warm, I would describe it. I don't know if that quite makes sense, but yeah, like the wood yeah. has a yeah. certain warmth to it that um, some other things may not, stone or or metal or, or clay. And yeah. Cool, yeah, yeah, trying a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> so one in one of the posts, this would lead nicely into it, you wrote about like your creative, your energy and with doing all these different things, maybe yeah, you land somewhere and you see someone working and you want to try it and you have a lot of this kind of creative energy to do stuff. And then at other times you wrote, sometimes you feel like you need a rest. Um, and this yeah. is an interesting, interesting thing for me because I definitely feel it myself more. I feel it more with my training, like, I've been doing more physical practice with martial arts and dancing and parkour and things. And I definitely right from the start didn't want to, didn't enjoy like fitness studio and just doing the same movements over and over again. I really wanted to have a creative aspect to, to, to my training. And sometimes it really comes and I've noticed with me personally, I need to give it the room. Like I can't just wait inside and hope I have a cool idea of some movements I want to do. And then I go and do them. I really have to go outside. And often what's worked for me well is to take an object to give me something like a stick or a ball or something. And then I just start playing with this, mm. with this object and like, okay, I can spin it. I can pass it around my back. I can throw it and catch it. I can balance. And then comes a lot of ideas and I've had like my best training sessions without a plan, but I have this kind of object and then the creative juices flow. So <laughs> when you have these moments of energy, obviously it's very nice, but then when it doesn't come, do you just work anyway? And then it comes sooner or later on its own or how do you deal with these lulls in this energy? <laughs> oh, a tough one. I'm not sure because I've not been in a constant world. Like I've not had a, Mm, just a constant <laughs> so this is the first time that I actually I live somewhere and I know I'll be staying here for a while and then I'm not like going to a semester abroad I'm not like this is the first time where I know okay I might be building up a studio and continue working on woodworking um, so before I always just when I had the time when I could sneak out when I was on holiday on the weekend I would carve so I never had to face that creativity permanently and then obviously when I do something that I don't enjoy doing even more I want to I know what I want so I know I run out and I start a new project because maybe I'm annoyed by my job so then on the weekend you have all this energy I've collected over the week and now this is the first time where I have to permanently focus and try and do creative work and I've not figured it out yet I don't actually know okay <laughs> I don't know how to deal with it um I definitely procrastinate a lot. It's just this constant, especially now thinking of, can I make money over this? This is actually a future. Very stressful. Um, we're trying to launch our first ever shop updates and try and see if everyone's anyone's willing to buy our stuff, which is quite daunting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now there's moments where I'm like, yes, I'm doing this. And then days you just kind of want to hide and rather do something when no one can criticize you. So mm. doing your own work that comes completely from your own mind is it's hard. I have no solution to how to fight 
mm-hmm. <laughs> like the the days where you don't don't want to do anything we'll see yeah but i think yeah any time you do jump into those scary things i've had it through my life again like yeah, moving overseas for some people is a big thing and ah a scary thing but i've definitely seen over the time that when i have these moments where i yeah i'm scared or shy to do a new thing if i go through it generally i'm happy i did and i've seen that happen enough that now i always have that in the back of my mind like yeah. just do it and if it doesn't work, okay, but at least at least try and at least put yourself out there. So maybe that'll help with you when you have those days with the shop and selling your work. You're like, ah, dude, this is, ah. You doubt it, just, yeah, uh, I would say give it time and uh, yeah, at least at least try and put it out there. I think it's a good thing. Definitely, would be wasted not to try, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to do the shop with your, boyfriend with your partner together is yeah. that the plan mm. yeah i think so we do we do work together we never do projects where we both work on the same piece yeah. um i think we're too like this is mine i want to yeah. decide where the cuts go like uh, yeah <laughs> we do work differently but we do similar work um and it just it makes sense to sell it together i mean already in the same building and uh he does the he does ceramics i do wood mainly but we do both do bowl turning and we want to afford a, a lathe now which is our dream to have a workshop that we want to build in the house so we mainly want to try and sell work to see if we can afford a lathe and then continue on making more bolts which sadly sell a lot better than spoons in my <laughs> yeah as I've uh, seen so far, yeah. <laughs> and I'll continue the spoons, surely, just for my... I just love spoons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's a weird obsession. Once you've started, I think we can all agree that <laughs> yeah. it is not where you go. But yeah, we'll try and just do a website together and then there's pieces that either he did or that I that I made and just see, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, exciting. <laughs> And the spoons, I can definitely relate. Like, uh, yeah, I fell deep into this hole. I mean, now I'm doing a podcast about spoons, which is <laughs> quite a weird thing to think back on. A few it's years a ago, food. yeah, it's yeah, but it really, it really caught me. And and it's definitely the simplicity, right? Uh, like you say, with the bowls, you need you don't need a lathe, but to produce. Um, yeah, decent amount to lathe and, and with chairs. So it's definitely the simplicity. And while traveling, you could even just take uh, a few tools and wherever you are, you will find some wood. Did you yeah. take t- a lot of tools to Japan with you now? I did. Um, I took a lot of carving tools, a lot of carving tools, but I'm trying to obviously buy a lot of stuff. It's heaven here for us. <laughs> tool heaven and it's uh quite amazing because we've been to some a few places now together trying to uh my my partner and me to um try and find tools so they're all very different everywhere and there's always there's people that carve spoons everywhere and they use different ways of approaching it and it's absolutely fascinating um so we've uh tried and find a lot of really strange strange stuff and we just we buy so many tools it's, uh-huh. <laughs> it's impossible it's too many but uh, i did bring a lot of carving stuff with me yeah definitely I just thought it would be a waste i mean leaving it at home there's no point don't have to buy them again brought my axe and a fair amount of chisels and just carving knives yeah, yeah. 
So you're yeah, ready to go. And now you've found some wood on your last adventure. So yeah, cool. Yeah, awesome. Maybe one more question. Yeah, regarding then sharing your work online. I, I don't know how much you share. Some people post like everything I more or less do, post nearly every spoon I make because I'm like, what else am I going to do with it? I want to kind of show what I've done. So I share a lot. Um of my work and another thing is sharing more of your of yourself like yeah what you're what you're doing the rest of your life and the process and behind it so now that you're going to sell do you plan to share more of your work or still just now and again post something you've been up to do you do you share something when a thought comes with it rather than just sharing constantly how do you think about that i don't share constantly um yeah. I definitely, there's just, sometimes I make things and I'm like, I really want people to see this. I'm mm -hmm. proud of this. <laughs> um, I don't share everything I make. I'm also quite perfectionist with my spoons. Sometimes I just leave them be. And then a year later, I'll be like, it's not done. It needs more, <laughs> it needs more fine tuning. <laughs> yeah. um, and then also I definitely try to not just be a person and just post stuff for getting the likes i mean we all do of course it just feels good to know someone likes your work mm -hmm. but i do try to at least say something useful <laughs> mm -hmm. to to share but it's also a bit scary i mean you just talk into the voids and you don't know if someone's gonna talk back to you so i do often try to share my thoughts and maybe my like before you mentioned you read the one post my anxieties about creating and kind of say a few more things about me personally it's a bit scary and I'm not a person that really likes to show my face in video form on, on the internet. <laughs> yeah. um, so you never know what people actually, what kind of picture they have of who you are, but I yeah. definitely try to be more of a sharing personal and sharing like more important things than just everything. Um, yeah. But I don't think I'll be posting more of the with the website now. It's quite every time I make something, I also don't force it. I don't say I need to make seven spoons a week. Like mm. I just like carve one or I don't, and then when it's done, I share it or upload it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just one thing about the sharing. Uh, Emmett, who also does a, a podcast and is like a professional spoon carver and carving other things he talks a lot about yeah how sometimes sharing more of yourself definitely shows more of yourself and sometimes people can really connect to this and then it's a different thing if people want to buy your stuff just looking at a bowl and deciding that's beautiful bowl that I want or a chair or whatever the product um, and he sees it much more as when he shares people are kind of connected to you and they yeah, yeah. want to have some of some of you through the work in, in a way so I can definitely kind of see that, see that happening. But uh, yeah, it's something everyone has to uh, decide for themselves, I guess. No, I definitely feel more connected to people where I think I know them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. willing to support them and buy yeah. their work. It's strange either way. I'm really torn between, I don't know if I want to use this platform as something where I just promote myself I mean, essentially, I've been doing exactly that because you post pictures of your work, but yeah. now also using it as a platform where now you want to profit and making money. It's very scary. You just always feel like, mm, do I use 
this community that I build up here for my own profits or is it actually it's a hard question but also I do want to live off of the craft that I make so I do need to start and <laughs> sell it at some point um yeah I'd like to I communicate a lot with with people on Instagram I've met a lot of fantastic people especially since I came to Japan so many generous people have introduced me to Japanese craftsmen and I've met already like five people in Japan that I only know because someone on Instagram told me about them, okay. which is amazing. The entire community, especially around the spoon carving into crafting. It's a really great community. So I yeah. definitely try to be part of it. Um, yeah, maybe I will try and I'm just too shy really to show my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's worth doing it more to actually yeah, connect, connect more. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, at least now people have have your voice, and and the people that listen have a little bit more uh, understanding oh, yeah. of yourself and where you came from, and yeah, yeah. your story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for the for the opportunity for that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I was just yeah super interested after seeing your profile not so long ago. Actually, I discovered it, but it, the biggest thing that. Uh, made me want to ask you questions was just the fact that, yeah, you'd been in these different places and you were trying so many different, different creative things. So yeah, it was really nice to learn a bit more about you today. So thank you. Do you have, I don't know if there's anything you, uh, we missed or anything else you want to say or something else before we go today? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is there something we missed? It was really interesting hearing your questions. I mean, now it is the first time a stranger asked me about their perception of my Instagram profiles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. quite, quite interesting um, to kind of explain the background of things. No, this is great. Oh, I did I did promise my friend who was incredibly excited that I would be in a podcast to mention <laughs> her. So uh, I do okay. have to, to tell all my greetings to my friend Anna who will be very happy about this. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but apart from that, no, this, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And for me, it's just a chance to um, talk to strangers that without a podcast, it would seem even weird if I just said, hey, I've been looking at your Instagram and do you want to have yeah. a Zoom call with me while I ask you questions? So this for me opens up, makes it a lot easier to approach people. <laughs> so... Yeah, it was cool. Thanks then. Uh, yeah, have a great day and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> have a good night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spoon Carving Conversations. If you would like to see and follow the work of Rabea, you can find her on Instagram at rabea.gebler. And if you want to see what I'm doing, you can follow me at Root Spoons. Thanks again and happy carving. Happy carving.